Totally Football Show. Premier League Round 2 and what City looked for some cheese to put on the KDB's knees for Tottenham's stadium woes. After the transfer window, Spurs once again failing to make a move. We round up all the news plus the European Super Cup, the Bundesliga and your favourite Madonna song in the Totally Football Show. And today's Totally Football show comes to you with the talents of Jack Lang. Good morning. Raphael Honigstein. Hello. And Matt Davis-Adams. Hello. Commentator for Chelsea TV and some of the world's major broadcasters. Oh, have you been in J-League for Canadian TV? I'm starting that on Sunday, yeah. Oh, right. Because Kriche Hiroshima against Kawasaki Frontale to start. Should be good. Do either of those teams involve Andres Iniesta? No, he's Vissel Kobe, I think. You might want to check on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I will do nearer the time, trust L- me. But uh, listeners, and myself amongst them, will be saying, hang on, surely Matt Davis is, is enough. But it's Matt Davis Adams now, is it? It is, yeah. I felt I just needed something just to tip me into the middle classes of this country. So okay. uh, double-barrelling the surname would be a good way to do it. Um, no, my wife is um, expecting a child in the next couple of weeks. We've been married for a number of years. She didn't fancy changing her name. I thought it was a bit outdated, so we are combining them. Interesting. All right, good for you. Uh I, I posted on the Twitter at the Totally Show or at AC Jimbo. Um, what's the one thing you've always wanted to ask Matt or Rafa or Jack? Doug Campbell came struck back with which Madonna track is their favourite? Jack. Into the Groove. I can, if it's I'm, good enough for Sonic Youth, it's good enough for me. There you go, Matt. Well, I answered this uh, hastily with Latis Labanita because I, I was forgetting Borderline. Latis Labanita, obviously, you're straight on holiday when you hear that, but, mm. but Borderline, a lovely pop song too. So tough to split them. Live to Tell. Live to tell, yeah. For the moment, in the in the middle of the of the dra- and great movie, like father, like son, like hell. Great tagline for that that movie, and uh, just the moment in the middle, you know, where it cuts out, and then she comes back in, and she says, "If I ran away," and then off it goes again. Oh, magic moment! But Rafa, you said there can only be one answer. Hanky panky. No, it is <laughs> it is into the groove. Yeah, it has to be into the groove. Yeah, of course. Perfect pop tune. Oh, here's a proper football question uh, from Crimmins. Thanks, Crimmins. What's Honigstein's favourite myth about English football? Ooh, it's a good one, this. Should we come back to you on that? Come back on that. Because there's come plenty of them, me. isn't there? Yeah, there's a few. All right. Mm-hmm. Tell you what else there's plenty of, Matt. Matches this weekend. Let's talk about some of those after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power, the home of the Money Back Special. Keep listening to the end of the podcast to find out more. Chelsea-Arsenal it is then. Saturday tea time. And is there a more comforting word in the English language than tea time? Nothing bad can ever happen (laughs) at tea time, I don't think. Although maybe it can if you're an Arsenal fan at Stamford Bridge. What do you think? Matt, you are, of course, the voice of Chelsea for so many supporters worldwide. How much of a buzz is there right now about the whole Sarismo project? Um, I think there definitely is around the club. It seems like the the players are really enjoying it. They're doing double sessions every day and nobody seems to mind that, which is always, uh, always a good sign, I think. And obviously last week, Helps hugely. Um, the the chewing the cigarette on the sideline seemed to work. Very very comfortable win. And Chelsea against Arsenal at home last season they drew nil nil twice in the League Cup and in the league. But generally uh, they tend to win this game unbeaten in seven. Won the last five. It does feel slightly different because there's no Wenger and obviously there's no Mourinho and hasn't been for a while. And that was very much the the narrative of this game mm. for so many years. So you wonder if. You know, it's two teams in transition. Maybe it's slightly lost something, but but they do tend to be really exciting games when these two meet. You think of the the six nil uh, in Wenger's one thousandth game, and, and even going back to twenty eleven and and the five three with uh, Van Persie's hat trick when when AVB was in charge. There's always something to note, whether it's somebody getting sent off who shouldn't be getting sent off or or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a big challenge for Arsenal after last week. They don't tend to score many goals at, at Stamford Bridge either. Olivier Giroud was the last player to do so for them. Right. Um, I'll be hoping he doesn't do that this time. Quite. Mm. You mentioned transition. I think the scoreline last week against Huddersfield suggested that maybe a lot of the work was already done 
for Chelsea. What's your take? I think it's a really, really difficult game to draw any conclusions from in the same way that the Community Shield slightly was as well because Chelsea were missing so many players. But Huddersfield were were really disappointing last week. Uh, Everything that they had last season in terms of their sort of up and at and attitude seemed to be missing. They had one shot on target in the game. It was a stroll for Chelsea. The second goal before half-time killed it. So it's difficult to to read too much into it. But it's going to be interesting to see if he picks the same team. I think particularly Ross Barkley played every preseason game and he started last week. But he's got Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Mateo Kovacic, who I mm. presume will be available for this game, having not been last week. Um, so if Barkley is picked, he needs to do something, I think, okay. uh, to justify his place because he's been OK. But I want to see him have an influence on the game because it's a big if because he had that really, really bad injury. It was a terrible hamstring injury. But there's a place in the England squad for him, let alone the Chelsea team, if he can get some sort of form going. What about Sally's impact at Cobham? Um, I hear that ketchup's back on the menu along with the cigarettes uh, at the training ground. Yeah, it's it's supposedly a happy working environment again. Um, I spoke to um, Rob Green and Ethan Ampadu a couple of weeks ago, two players who perhaps won't be around the first team too much this season, but um, obviously a 17-year-old and a 38-year-old, two different ends of the spectrum, and, and Green was saying that you know a, a big part of the move for him was to be able to study under Sarri because it's different to anything that he's, uh, any sort of style of football that he's played before he's got ambitions to go into coaching when he finishes and and Ampadu in particular spoke really highly of the training sessions and, and how engaging they are for the players which I think was Why, something What was so different about them? Um, well I think it's the style of football for one thing um, and it's not being uh, drilled defensively uh, or in a kind of you know Roy Hodgson kind of way where okay we're playing 11 against shadows here and, and we move uh, you know slight movements we stop it's very very stop start I don't think that's the case with Sarri Not sure how the mood is at Colney with Emery's training sessions Jack if you have any word on that or what Emery's planning to do as Arsenal try and bounce back from the City defeat? Well, I think we'll probably see more of the same. I guess the the big question is whether he brings Alexander. Is that the club's motto, more of the same? <laughs> it could well be, mm. in Latin, I'm sure. Mm. I'd be interested to see if he brings in Alexander Lacazette up front. I thought he looked quite lively after coming on against City. Did well in pre-season. And there's a sense that, I don't know, maybe Rafa can speak to this about how Aubameyang was at Dortmund, but... At Arsenal, I think occasionally he's looked more dangerous coming in from the left than he has through the middle. He looked a little bit lost, I thought, sometimes against Man City. Admittedly, the service wasn't great to him. But he's spoken this week about he how he and Lacazette have a bit of a bond on the field. They seem to chime together quite nicely. And I think that could be an area where Arsenal get a lot of goals this year. I don't know whether it's a, a tactic for the big matches. That's probably the only doubt Emery has. The thing with Aubameyang is that he's not really happy I think to lead the line in a orthodox kind of way he is happy to run onto things he's happy to run into channels you can send him long he's got pace but he doesn't want to come short and be really part of the build-up he wants to touch the ball much later so when you have very little of the ball then I think it's easy for him to get a little bit lost and probably I mean whoever's played football at any level knows that you know if you just can't get involved you just come to the ball or you try to get away from your marker and that's maybe he had a bit of more joy coming out wide um, as you said but I don't think it's ne- necessarily something in him that he needs to start from wide areas I think his development has been actually to be an out and out striker playing on the shoulder or making those little diagonal runs in the final third but Arsenal never really got there they never really got to the final third and I, I wonder I mean, I mean Chelsea look a little bit more well, look quite more open um, and their pressing game is not nearly as refined. I think Arsenal have a, will have a lot more of the ball. I think it'd be a much more end-to-end kind of game. And I think they've got a chance of getting something there, Arsenal. I don't think they're quite as bad as City made them look. And I think Chelsea are still a work in progress, just as Arsenal are. Um, interest, most interesting for me would be what, what Emery does about the central midfield, because I think Ndusi's been getting a lot of praise I wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that he just looks very energetic. Um, there's an interesting section in the Numbers Game book by Chris Anderson where he talks about scouts favouring blonde players hmm. simply because they stick out. And I wonder if this, you know, we see somebody with big haircut and everything, whether automatically we, we kind of the eye gets drawn to him and we, we look at him just a bit more than everyone else, especially if Grant Chucker's next to you, I guess. Um, but I think there's a really interesting thing for me, whether they will find the right 
combination in midfield with maybe Lucas Torreira getting a bit more game time and whether they can build a new centre because I think everything else will be an improvement but unless they get that midfield right I think Arsenal will always struggle to dominate games the way they should if they want to play in the way that he sees them playing. What about in goal, Rafa? Is, is That's a really interesting in? one. I have never been 100% sold on Bernd Leno. Okay. I think he is technically a brilliant goalkeeper. He's good on his feet, but he does make a few mistakes. It could be still inexperienced. It could be that he's just a bit of a late developer. Um, Ter Stegen used to be quite error prone before he went to Barcelona and then had a huge jump up in performances maybe they feel that Leno can go on a, sim- on a similar trajectory but I think it's asking a lot of Peter Cech to, to change his game and especially against City who are the best team in the Premier League and maybe the best team full stop when it comes to putting pressure on, on the build up uh, of opposition teams so Chelsea I think will do will play a similar game under Sarri, no doubt. But I think there'll be also more gaps simply because they're not quite as organised collectively as, as City are. I know a lot of people were, were surprised at the selection of Czech given the way uh, you know Arsenal want to play out from the back. Slight theory on that. This is, you know, this is throwaway and not entirely serious, but there is a story behind it. 11 it's years ago, when uh, Unai Emery was managing for the first time in La Liga, having taken Almeria up from the second flight, in his first game in... Uh, the top flight, he picked his first team by rolling a dice to show his players that it didn't matter who was going to play, that the system was most important. He trusted all of them. He said this in, a, in an interview in a French magazine about a year ago, and I spoke to Philippe Mello, who played under him, and he confirmed it. And Did you do it in front of the players? Well, I assume so. Not, they wouldn't go into much it'd be, it'd detail. Be like Javier Bardem in No Country for Old oh, Men. like that. Let's see if you're going to be playing, Mr. Mello. Hopefully just as sinister, yeah. Yeah. We had That's... an economics teacher who graded people that way. Wow. But uh, By bit, dice? Yeah, it was a bit annoying. To demonstrate the uh, the randomness <laughs> the of the market. Yeah. Wow, that's extraordinary. Of course, you had Dominic who would do, uh, make his selections via star signs. That's a fact. It's not just a rumour. Bang. Uh, ooh, uh, Arsenal had the worst away record in the league, and I think all the football league. I think the top four divisions, wasn't it, last year? They were terrible, especially against the top six. Is that going to change, do you think, under me? What's your prediction, Matt, for this game? Um, I'm predicting a Chelsea win. Uh, as you say, Arsenal only won one last 11 uh, against teams that finished above them last season and lost seven of the last eight away from home in the Premier League. So I think that, um, yeah, Sarri will get a, a winner in his first game at Stamford Bridge. It'll also be um, Kepa Aritha Balaga's debut as well. So both, right. both goalkeepers, interesting to watch because if Czech plays, given the acrimony surrounding Thibaut Courtois' exit, he will get a, a magnificent ovation from the Chelsea supporters, right. I would imagine. If Aspilicueta passes back to Aritha Balaga, is that when the commentators really lose that? I'll be passing to Michael. Commentator at that point. (laughs) Jack, your prediction for the game? I think it could be a draw. I think Arsenal aren't as bad as people think, and maybe Chelsea's win. Not as bad as people think, says Jack Lang. Rafa? I I agree with that. Okay. A draw for Rafa? Draw for, for them. Listeners, the season's kicked off and if football rules your life as much as it does ours here at the Totally Football Show, you'll want to check out Daily Fantasy Football from DraftKings. With DraftKings, you choose when to play. Draft a new team every single week with no season-long commitment. Just choose your players, stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. What's more, there are big, big prizes to be won. It's easy to use and it's free to play after you've made your first deposit of just $5. UK players have already been paid out over £30 million, so what are you waiting for? Go to DraftKings.co.uk or download the app on Android or iPhone now. Enter the promo code TOTALLY to play for your share of over £100,000 in prizes for this Saturday's matches on DraftKings. That's promo code TOTALLY only at DraftKings. The game inside the game. T's and C's apply. Prizes paid out in US dollars, 18 plus only. And please be gambleaware.org. In other London derbies this weekend, Brave Fulham bravely travelled to Wembley for what was going to be the last of Spurs' home fixtures at their kind of at their other at their other residence, but of course it's not now. Very disappointing. Some clubs, Rafa, wait a lifetime to get to Wembley. Spurs fans have the opposite problem. What can Fulham anticipate there this weekend? Well, I think Fulham, despite their poor start um, when when they really came up against Crystal Palace team that just had more um, collective kind of know-how, I think 
um, and was more efficient. They they we feel that this is a Spurs team that are maybe a little bit still on holiday. Uh, one or two players still feeling the after effects of a World Cup. There is no new fresh signings. There is that that perhaps that uh, bit of discontent in the crowd about still being there, about not having a realistic possibility of moving anytime soon. There's mm. talk of Christmas today in today's papers that wow. they will take all this time. Um, before and this they... after being charged up to forty percent more for their season tickets. Yeah, exactly. Um, and new signings. I think that combination is is a bad one for for the for the mood around the team. And if you're Fulham, will feel you know. Let's let's just see what they can do. Let's make it difficult for them. Let's try to play on the break. And you'd still fancy Spurs, but it's it's not a foregone conclusion. I'd Last say. time Fulham visited Spurs, do you know who got a hat trick, Jack? Oh, I guess Harry Kane. Yeah. Do you see him breaking his August duck in fashion this in style this weekend? He could well do. I thought he looked fairly. It uh, wasn't at his best, I would say, mm. in against Newcastle. And I think the danger for Tottenham is that they, through necessity, I suppose Pochettino would say, they have brought these players back into the fold very early. It's actually been replicated across the Premier League, we've seen, but it's especially pronounced at Spurs because there are so many of them who are involved in the uh, third-place playoff in the final. And you wonder whether they will pay a price for that in a few months' time when these guys are a bit tired. But I think in the short term, I don't think there's any real reason why Kane isn't scoring in August, and I'd love him to score and just put that to bed. Would you? Would you? Matt, you were around training grounds a lot. Uh, on the inside, it, it's an interesting situation uh, with Spurs. A lot of them still with the World Cup, perhaps in their bones or in their in their legs, and this kind of doldrums that they found themselves in, both in terms of the stadium and in, in terms of players coming in and out. Does that seep into the kind of mood, the kind of level of excitement and and uh, commitment of the players? I think it can. I think there's a real danger of Spurs regressing this season. They finished top three for the last three seasons that's their their best run since late 50s early 60s and whilst I, I get what Michael Cox was saying on Monday about it's more important to have kept players than to have brought players in I think there's an argument to say you wanted to make a marquee signing to go with your new stadium and, and that would have pacified to an extent supporters who are now going to be spending half the season at Wembley um, but also you want to you want to bulk up your squad a bit What what's their ambition this season they've won two trophies in 27 years do they want to go and pick up a league cup so they've got a trophy to put in the new stadium. Do they want to go a bit further in the Champions League or do they want to uh, have a title challenge in the Premier League? I don't think they can do that with the squad that they've got at the minute. What can they do? They might be able to finish third again, but they might drop out of the top four because of the stadium thing, but also because of what we've been talking about with the squad being the same. And they're, Tottenham as a club their players played more minutes at the World Cup than anybody else. You might be able to get through on adrenaline for the first month or two, but... When we get to November, December time, that's going to start catching up on players. And Jack's right about Harry Kane. He he didn't look fit towards the back end of the World Cup, and he certainly didn't look fit at Newcastle last week. I didn't think. Right. And what's the what's the other option? I don't think it had to be necessarily binary choice. You know, sign new players or keep your best players. They should be in a position where they can at least buy one or two players. I mean, that's not really out of the. Did they come close to? Was, did they make a bid that got turned down, or they just didn't try? Grealish was the Grealish? closest, wasn't it? I'm not sure if that fits into rapid category. <laughs> well, then, well, there you go. If that's the if that's the calibre of player that they're being linked with, then that says that they're not prepared to spend, I don't know, in excess of forty, fifty million pounds and and a, a bumper contract for somebody. And and maybe that's because the the stadium cost has gone from four hundred million pounds to to one billion pounds. So. I think it could be a testing season for right. Tottenham. Spurs fans, let us know your thoughts at the Totally Show. Palace Liverpool, of course. That's the sizzling fixture that leaps out at me, Jack Lang, taking place on Monday. Mr Roy against his old club. I'd love that. Ooh, a club that's come unstuck at Selhurst Park before now. Cristanbul, memorably. right. Well, two Pep Nolan says, will Liverpool's Selhurst Park hoodoo end the title challenge hype? Two Pep, it's only the second round of the season. It's only the second round of, uh, of the season. I know they've been a bit of a bogey side, but they could lose this game and still be in the title, title race. Uh, Jack, I know you saw a fair bit of Palace last season. How important is it for them coming into this fixture that Zaha has put pen to paper? Well, I think that's excellent for them. Obviously, you know, there was a lot of interest in him in the summer. He's a guy who kind of kept his head down through it all, really. And even, I thought, in his post-match interview after the, the win against Fulham, he was almost sheepish about it. I think he's someone who likes to kind of get that stuff done behind the scenes. And I think it will be certainly great news for the fans. I know a few Palace fans, they're all buzzing. And I think it just shows that 
there couldn't be a better bargaining position in football than alongside Christian Benteke in attack who's not scoring. So a lot of Palace's goals are going to have to come through Zaha. I think they're well aware of that. And it's yeah, like I think playing it's huge. next to Shaka in midfield. It's it's that it's a similar kind of thing, I right. would say. Yeah, right. Um, Zaha deserves an awful lot of praise. This this contract that he signed, apparently worth one hundred and thirty thousand pounds a week, he's giving ten percent per week to charity. Is he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's excellent. Nice one. The, not the only bit of signing uh, or signing that's got the the, the fans buzzing itself as part. Max Meyer, who uh, I think quite a few people were surprised to see heading down there. Rafa, were you? I think his agent was because he talked <laughs> of him uh, about being a, a world-class player, um, you know, one of the best of the best. Um, I think Maya is an interesting is an interesting player. He's been recast as a deep-lying uh, register type player by Tedesco, and it was a revelation last season for Schalke. Before that, he was one of those guys who. Maybe that's a bit unkind, but he reminds me a little bit of Lewis Holtby, who you feel has a lot of technique but doesn't quite bring it to bear consistently enough doesn't quite dominate games doesn't quite have the telling touch or the the real intervention uh the really incisive thing often enough he's got he's got great um composure on the board i just don't necessarily think that his talents if he is indeed playing in that position will be best served in the premier league right i just see these kind of players as a deep line register yeah okay. i feel that these type of players struggle unless they are playing in a team which is completely based around possession and everyone plays the same game. I think it's going to be tricky for him. But he has got a lot of raw talent that needs to be and can be harnessed. Okay, Ed quotes Raven asking if you think Roy Hodgson is the man to get a tune out of him. I don't see why not. I think Roy Hodgson's man management, as he has shown throughout his stint at Palace, has been has been absolutely brilliant and it's not an easy dressing room I think you, you, you know you look at some of the the players and how they have performed or have not performed under previous regimes um, I think he has shown himself to be um, both able to connect with them but also further their their performances so he's he does what a good coach should do which is to help players perform All right. so I, I trust him to to do that but I still think that Maya needs to find uh, his his role in this team and in, in this league and it's not going to be straightforward I see both teams had a brilliant start to the season last weekend Palace away at Fulham Liverpool at home to West Ham Rafa how impressed were you with Naby Keita's debut or you think there's loads more to come I was hugely impressed because he'd had a, such a poor season this is something that Klopp talked about that uh, last season was basically a write-off whether that was because of his frustration of not being able to get the move done uh, a year before or you know Leipzig as a whole didn't really perform they stopped that kind of high pressing game and they started to play with the ball a bit more and it didn't really work at all uh, was hard to say but I think it was a reminder just how good this guy is and I'd almost forgotten a little bit and wondered whether that uh, hype and the money was perhaps mm, not quite in line with what he was bringing to the pitch but I think it was a timely uh, reminder just how much of a player they've got and what's really interesting for me is I think that Liverpool have this this problem in inverted commas is how to play against deep defences how to get into the final third because there isn't really anyone uh, now that Coutinho is gone that can play that ball that can you know take the ball slow things down and change pace in a way it doesn't really matter because this guy just by running can uh, can be sort of a, a running playmaker. Mm. Uh, he makes spaces, he makes passes simply by going past players and creating openings that way, which is an, a difficult way of doing it and will be tough against really deep sides, which they might come up against. But it was hugely encouraging, I think, for Liverpool to see what he, how he changed the, the dynamic in midfield, coming deep and uh, being sort of two players in one almost. OK, whose brilliant start is going to come unstuck? At Selhurst Park on Monday night, Jack? Well, it might be neither of them. I think a draw would probably be a... You come with a draw again? I'm sitting very much on the fence today. Matt. I think it would... If it is right. a draw, I think it would It would be a huge disappointment for Liverpool because I think they are big on the idea that momentum is important and that City are not going to drop many points and that if you want to have any realistic possibility of getting close to them, away to Palace is the kind of game that... The draw is no longer good enough. Although City this weekend are at home to Huddersfield, a fixture in which they have failed to score in the last four editions. Crazy stat of the weekend, Matt. That's Man City at home to Huddersfield, failed to score in the last four. Tell you what, we'll talk about that 
and also asked the question, a big tactical question from Matt Pomeroy, how does Klopp's style of football differ from Guardiola's or Pochettino's? Are they variants of the same approach or are they distinct differences after this? You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Pow! Matt Pomeroy, he asked the question, who feels brainy enough to answer? How does Klopp's style of football differ from Guardiola's or Pochettino's? Are there variants of the same approach or are there distinct differences? There's pressing involved. I've got that much. There's, there's huge differences. OK. Yeah. Um, Number one, Rafa. Well, number one, I think, is the, the the main idea of the game for why Klopp wants to have the ball and wants to dominate games and has teams that you know will not play under counter-attack uh, exclusively, especially against uh, less talented teams. It's not that important for him. His, his game is about winning the ball in areas where it can hurt the opposition and he it doesn't really want that many touches. He doesn't really want the team to travel with the ball as much as, as Guardiola. That's his big So he thing. doesn't care as much about possession? No, he wants possession, but possession is one way of playing. It's not the way of playing, which I think for Guardiola very mm-hmm. much is. Guardiola doesn't want to give the ball away against any team whereas Klopp is quite happy against some of the better sides to press a little bit deeper, let them you know, let them fall into traps, let them go into areas of the pitch where they want them to be. So it's just um, it's just a different style of playing, which, you know, you look at the team, you look at the players that uh, Klopp has and that he's been adding, there aren't really that many playmakers, there aren't really that many players who want many touches. It's much more direct, it's much more based on pace, based on um, verticality. And I think Pochettino is a lot closer to to Klopp, but that is also because of the players that they have. Um, I think he is doing the best with the players he has. Um, If he had one or two more Christian Eriksons in the team, maybe his game would change more towards the Guardiola uh, blueprint. But to sum it up briefly, perhaps, if I can, there are principles that are sort of universal for all of these guys, as they are indeed for almost every coach working at that kind of level which is you know to win the ball back quickly to um, do everything as a team but the the basic idea I think is still very different between uh, Klopp uh, and Pochettino on one hand and Guardiola on the other all right well let's talk about Man City then Kevin De Bruyne out for an unknown period specialists are suggesting it could be until after Spurs have left Wembley that's how we judge time now. But, yes, yep. it's a. It seems to be a lateral ligament issue. Okay, he, I think he had the same thing in a couple of years ago, and it kept him out of twelve games. Okay, all right. Uh, Kevin Andreola says, uh, "Do you believe that Bernardo Silva will be the Player of the Year this season, thanks to the opportunity from the De Bruyne injury?" Uh, player of the season, I'm, I don't know, but I definitely feel this could be a, a breakout season for him. Right, given a bit more time in that role, I've preparing a piece at the moment actually I've spoken Mm -hmm. to a couple of his old coaches at Benfica and he really enjoyed playing in central areas as a kid like a lot of skillful and smaller players he has been shunted wide Uh, we saw him at Monaco did very well there I suppose that is often the temptation for coaches who are looking for power in the middle but I think he's proved over the last couple of games he's very effective there he can go both ways we know he's not that pacey but he's got a real brain on him yeah, I think it could be an excellent season for him. It looks like he's going to be given more game time. Uh, Guardiola said before the season at the moment, it's Bernardo plus 10. Don't know how long that will last for, but with this De Bruyne injury, I think he'll have a good run in the team. OK. Man United, by the way, the other Manchester team, will also be taking on a team who could well struggle this year based on the first week's performance. They're visiting Brighton. More talk this week in the papers about showdown talks between Paul Pogba and... Um, Oh, Jose Mourinho, that's his name. Is Pogba going to do one before the continental transfer window closes? Matt? Um, I think Mourinho is more likely to leave before Pogba. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although Mourinho could actually set a, a club record this weekend. No no Man United uh, manager has ever won their opening two games of a season in all three years, their first three years as United boss. And I'm sure that's what everybody will be focusing on on this wow. the, the first leg of his farewell tour. Ha. Big Freudian slip there all three years. <laughs> right. Suggesting it will be the last. Brighton to bounce back, Jack. Brighton to bounce back? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Rafa? Inevitably, it will be about 
Pogba and what he does on the pitch and the Kremlinologists analysing body language and every instruction and how Pogba reacts. I mean, there were games last year when Pogba just simply did not do what Mourinho, Mourinho was asking him to do. And I think this is still the ongoing issue between them, that Mourinho wants him to play in a certain way that Pogba doesn't agree with. And I think winning the World Cup has not necessarily strengthened Pogba's appetite for compromise. I see. Um, whereas Mourinho felt that this is a good example of Pogba you know, playing unselfishly, but I think it's one thing to do it for France, quite another to do it for, for Jose and Man United. But really worrying, I think, even against you know, Leicester at home, you should really expect Man United to try and go for the second goal, try to kill off the game. They didn't. They just they waited and created absolutely nothing. And I think that more than the result, more than anything else, more than this whole Mourinho Pogba soap opera, is really frustrating for fans and and a strange thing to see for neutrals. You know who won last time these two teams faced each other? No, I don't. It was Brighton, hence the question, with your chum uh, Pascal Gross uh, scoring oh, yeah. the only goal of the game. That was the uh, the result that secured their Premier League safety. As oh, well. right, OK, yeah, nice. So, Gross yeah. profits. Mm. <laughs> hey, Rafa, do you have a chance to think about that question about big myths about English yeah, football? Yeah, I did. And it's difficult because I think the big myths have kind of gone the way... Of most like myths, which is football, they've been kind of debunked, thing. yeah, and I think British football or English football is is more attuned with its own mythology and, and has kind of dismantled them to to large extent. Uh, you know, the idea that English players are much fairer, they don't dive, all this kind of stuff. That's no longer really thinks that's true. Okay, so it's hard of it of it to talk of a. What, what, what big myths do you think people have about the Bundesliga then that ought to be debunked? You tell me. I mean, I it's difficult for me to say what. Other myths people. we have about yeah. all the supporters are brilliantly treated. Everybody's really happy. It's the best place Clubs in Europe run. to go watch yeah. football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that is that is a myth because um, it's it's almost the opposite that that German fans feel that there's a kind of a lost golden age that they need to somehow bring back, and this is now you know paradise lost, and football has been too commercial and too much money being asked for them to pay and. It is a strange dynamic because there is um, not this club ownership model that we that we used to in the Premier League. Clubs are still controlled by their members, but at the same time have to chase money much more uh, because there is no one picking up the checks, um, which then leads to these kind of fairly obscene sites in the stands or in the stadiums where everything is sponsored. You know, the corner flag is sponsored, the corner kick is sponsored, the failed goal line clearance is sponsored and I can understand why a lot of fans kind of feel that this is a little bit too much and getting out of hand I see I wonder whether Rafa could say something about the what may have turned out to be a myth which was the harmony in the Germany squad running up to the World Cup with Tony Kroos's latest comments yeah I mean Tony Kroos's latest comments just for those who haven't seen them was that Mesut Ozil was uh, was right in some of the things he said in his uh, big Twitter um, statement, but it was always that those right things were overshadowed by the amount of garbage he spoke. Oh, and he specifically said the idea that there's racism in the national team and in the German FA is nonsense. Now, unfortunately, what's happened is what happened to a lot of sort of big public debates is that there's been a lack of precision in the in the argument because um, Mesut Özil never actually said there was racism in the German FA such, or in the national team. He never talked about that. But that's how it's been understood. And now people are commenting, commenting on it and say, well, this is nonsense. But unfortunately, I think it's a kind of a attempt by sections of the media, certainly build to try to shift the narrative. And they've they kind of hoodwinked people a little bit by saying, is it true that there's racism in the national team? And other players are saying, no, no, I don't know what he's talking about. Well, he never said that. All right. So is this all, um, whilst I'm not suggesting they're manipulating it for that, but is it quite a useful way to just distract people from the disastrous showing of Germany in the World Cup? It is useful, but it's, it's, it's been self-defeating and it's been a huge own goal because People have seen through that they they realised that Mesut Özil, whatever he did uh, with the Erdogan photo, was not the main reason that Germany played poorly. The fact that he was singled out by the German FA president and by Oliver Bierhoff, who was very clumsy, I think, in what he was trying to say, 
uh, came across in a, in a different different way that I think he wanted to. He made the statement saying, "Well, if we had, if we'd realised how bad this would be, we should have left him at home for sporting reasons." Some people are saying this doesn't really make sense. You know, um, why is he singling him out? But what he was, I think, trying to say, uh, having spoken to people close to to the situation, is that if they'd realised just how much of an impact it would have on him and his performances, maybe it would have been better not to take him. But it still was very clumsily worded and open to mis- misunderstanding. And again, not exactly um, taken away from this idea, as you said, that people were just trying to scapegoat Mesut for whatever happened uh, uh, in Russia. And it'd be really interesting because in 10 days' time, uh, Joachim Löw, when he will announce his squad for the upcoming games, the Nations League will also submit his dossier into his own failings, which I think is very unprecedented at this level. That you're asking a coach to um, kind of uh, put together a report on all the things he did wrong and uh, the reasons why Germany didn't play any better. That's the price he has to pay. I'm sure um, it's hugely annoying and and sort of uh, embarrassing for him. At the same time, the German FA were not in a position to fire him, so. Uh, they've let him conduct the, his own inquest. Interesting. I bet they'll be glad to get the Bundesliga season underway this yeah, weekend. It's not. Uh, it would have been nice, James, but it's still not yet underway next weekend. We have to wait for another week. Oh, really? Yeah, it'll be the cup games. Crikey. Next All weekend, right. yeah. Well, we'll talk about the situation, you know, because you're here uh, in, in the Bundesliga in prospect, getting early for that. A little bit later on in the show, because there's clearly no rush. Let me ask you this, though. David Geraghty says, which existing champion from England, Spain, Germany, France or Italy will find it hardest to retain their title this season? Ooh, that's a question, isn't it? Matt, what do you think? I'm going to say Spain. I'm going to say Spain, Spain. as well. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking, is there any argument for Juventus? But then I remembered Ronaldo, so there's not, is there really? Not really, no. Maybe, maybe Manchester City, because um, the, we, we hear a lot about the Jose Mourinho third season syndrome, but Jurgen right. Klopp? Am I right, Rafa? Third season at Mainz, got them up into the Bundesliga for the first time ever. Third season at Dortmund, won the Bundesliga. So maybe if you believe in that kind of stuff. Spain then. Third full full season. Yeah. Okay. All right. Jack, uh, you watched the Super Cup on Wednesday night, didn't you? The European Super Cup, which was effectively an all-Spanish affair. I did. Uh, Two teams there who would hope to be rivalling Barcelona, the current Spanish champions, uh, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. Uh, exciting game, six goals. Diego Costa kicking Sergio Ramos in the head. What did you think? Oh, it was fabulous. R- real carnivalesque match. Lots of good goals. Lots of positive signs, I think, for Atletico. And, you know, if, if Matt thinks that Barcelona could be overhauled, I think this was a pretty good argument from Atletico that they could be the chief candidates to do so. They're still ranked as third favourites with the bookies, I believe, but this was a, a really impressive performance. And if, if you look at the two benches, Atleti's bench was so strong, so many good players on there. On the pitch, they had, you know, debutants. Thomas Lamar, I thought, looked quite good. Uh, Rodri, who's coming from Villarreal, is kind of organising midfielder, should be the long-term replacement for Gabby, I suppose. And yeah, Diego, Diego Costa was more or less unplayable, had a hand in all four of their goals. Right, and a First foot goal especially. Head. Yeah. Magic. Yeah, and the goal of the game mm. was the Salniguez volley, no? I think so. Yeah, that was uh, Costa and Thomas Partey robbed the ball off rails back four and Partey chipped it back, I think more in hope than uh, knowledge that anyone was there. And yeah, Saul just clobbered it. It was lovely. Fantastic. Fantastic. Daniel asks, uh, who would Matt Davis TV back in a steel cage match between Costa and Ramos? Uh, well, I've thought about this a lot, and basically there's no place to hide in the steel cage, which would mean that Ramos's powers uh, are, are pretty much useless. He, he can't, you know, duck outside to take a breather or whatever, or, you know, do get something nefarious from outside the ring. Okay. Uh, so it would be Costa's brute strength, and having been the victim of uh, his ear flicks and rib digs on several occasions, they're quite painful. So, yeah, it's 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 a pretty one-sided contest. So, so Costa used to effectively bully you around the corner? Um, he he ground, just likes he? flicking people's ears, so, yeah, like the, get a couple of those every so often that, that's that's quite common did you flinch banter. whenever you saw him coming um, yeah but then he kind of hug you afterwards and run off laughing to himself and, and chortling and, and saying Spanish stuff that I didn't understand so your, very funny your chat. employer should have issued with one of those James Milner headbands <laughs> yeah 
Uh, you, you mentioned who's on the Atletico bench these days. Of course, on the Real Madrid bench, Jack, is uh, Julian Lopetegui, whose Midas touch continues. Uh, yeah, fair to say it's been a, a bit of a, a tough summer for the man. Yeah, I think he he has a slightly downtrodden look to him anyway, I think. Certainly didn't have much to, to change that here. Could be... A, a tough season, I think, unless you know there's still a little bit of time in the transfer market. There were, there were a few positive things. I thought, you know, there were signs that Gareth Bale and Karim Benzema can step out of the shadow of, you know, who. That ball in from Bale for Benzema's goal is really nice. Mm. Benzema's someone I think, you know, I think he only scored five league goals last season. There's obviously a massive shortfall from Ronaldo, but I think maybe with a little bit more confidence from his manager I suppose you know he's been playing second fiddle for a while now you know hunting with cats in the Mourinho era era the famous quote and even under Zidane he's kind of uh, I guess sidekick rather so uh, I'd be interested to see if he can step up and become a protagonist again all right well anyway this one goes 4-2 after extra time to Adletti which is quite a quite a thing Real losing in a Euro final to their city rivals Um, you mentioned uh, Matt, Ronaldo at Juventus. That's uh, one of the things that we touch on in our big City A season preview in Golazzo, which is out now. We're talking about that, how much Juve are favourites again for the title, but the resurgence of the Milan sides, uh, Milan with Higuain now, and uh, Inter, although the money they spent, nine Galan among the many transfers they've made, Ancelotti, what kind of season's ahead are for him down in Naples and all the other crazy business that's been going on during the summer in Italy. You can catch that on Golazzo with myself and James Horncastle. we hear more about Germany from you, Rafa, a little bit later on. Of course, in other midweek action, European-wise, Burnley this uh, this evening, Thursday evening, they're up against Basak Shahir. Basak Shahir, who feature all sorts of, or potentially feature all sorts of names, Adebayor, Clichy, Adetaran, Emre Gokaninla among their squad. It was nil-nil in the first leg. Uh, Rangers also in Europa League action Thursday night. They're 3-1 up against Maribor. Uh, Hibs and the New Saints. Meanwhile, taking on Mulder and Michelin. I know Hibs were nil-nil with Mulder. I don't know what TNS got against Michelin. I think they lost 2-0. Did they? That's not looking good. Speaking of losing. And going into the Europa League, Celtic crashed out of the Champions League preliminaries. Yikes. 2-1 their defeat against uh, AEK on Tuesday night. Uh, that's the first time Brendan Rodgers has lost back-to-back games with the club. More soft defending here. Uh, they're going to be in the Europa League. They've got Partick Thistle coming up on the weekend. You can hear more about the situation with Brendan in our sister show, the Totally Scottish Football Show. Um, I had listened this, this week. They're declaring this the last days of Brendan. They're already, they're already saying that, Matt. I can I can sort of see that, but it, he he's um, hamstrung himself a little bit with his poor Champions League record while he's been with Celtic. Admittedly, he got them to the group stages, but he didn't get them out of it in the previous two seasons. They had some real hammerings from Barcelona and, and PSG in, in that time, and, and it's harsh on them as the champions of Scotland having to go through four qualifying rounds to get to the Champions League proper. But um, yeah, if you're if you're a, a, a mid to high level Premier League club looking for a manager ah. in the near future then you might say well he's done all right there he's won the, the double treble but when it came to european football he hasn't really cut it do you not do you not think that he might now be kind of first in the rolodex of the likes of what well, cardiff newcastle saints man united man- <laughs> jack you're joking yes okay <laughs> um but yeah there's a lot of clubs that potentially could be. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Leicester before. Leicester taking on Wolves this Saturday, and and Claude Puel, it emerging this week, has only got two games to save his job. Apparently, that's what they say, Rafa. You can frown all you like, but that's what they say. That this one's at home to a spunky-looking Wolves side. Next weekend, he's at St Mary's against his old club Saints. Yikes! Everyone's very excited about this. They're two winnable games for Leicester. Are they? Wolves at home and Southampton away. So, right. yeah, if, if he's got to win those two, then you'd think you'd have a, a reasonable chance of doing so. But it's, it's um, again, what Daniel said on Monday, it, it's not the time to do it, is it? They, they spent a reasonable amount of money in the summer. They had all that time to get rid of him and find a replacement. Unless you, you're pushing the big Sam button, I'm not sure who's out there to go and take the Leicester job. They played pretty well yeah, they did. at United as well. I mean, arguably the better side, but a strange one. Who's going to finish higher this year? Leicester or 
Wolves? Uh, I still think Leicester probably. Okay. I think Wolves will be fine, but I think that there's a lot of talent at Leicester. I'd like to think Puel would settle down and I think it would do a decent job. Okay. Who's going to finish higher this season between Cardiff and Newcastle? And indeed, who's going to finish with more goals this weekend, Matt? Um, I would say that Newcastle will finish higher, but I mean, the, the real story in this game is on the touchline, isn't yes. it? Between uh, Messrs. Warnock and Rafael Benitez renewing hostilities um, after back in uh, 07. Benitez picked a weakened Liverpool team down at Fulham. Uh, it was 18 days before a Champions League game as well, which was what really got Warnock's goat. Not that it takes much to do that. Fulham won the game. They stayed up. Sheffield United didn't. Uh, Warnock said uh, Fulham have stayed in the Premier League even though they're the worst team in the division. Uh, I'll never forgive Benitez for playing what wasn't even a reserve team. And uh, he then said that Benitez had sent him an email saying if he didn't stop talking about it, he'd take him to court. So, yeah. Funny. Wow. And Neil finds it very difficult to stop talking about (laughs) things like that and so many things. But, um, well, that's going to be interesting. Also interesting, I put it to you this weekend, is Everton Saints... We don't need to necessarily talk about it, but it's going to be a fascinating uh, match to see if Richarlison can continue his blistering uh, form in his, in his debut for the, the Toffees. Jack, you, you open your mouth and drew breath. Well, I think there will be changes at the other end for Everton. Obviously, Jagielka suspended, yes. and I th- this could be uh, Yerry Mina's debut, I Yerry suppose. Yerry Mina. Which be quite exciting. Mm. Maybe alongside Kurt Zuma. Could be. Debut. Yeah, all new. Richarlison scored at Goodison Park for Watford last season, so see if he can uh, make it three and two. You are full of information, Matt. West Ham taking on Bournemouth. Bang. Both the games last season between these two sides were draws. Pellegrini looking to get a result here after really getting taken apart by Liverpool last weekend. They're better than that, aren't they, Rafa? Are they? They're better. I'm not sure how good they they really are. They, they bought a lot of players. I think a lot of people got very excited by the reading the price tags and reading the names. But as a team, work in progress would be very charitable. It looked still all over the place. And uh, I'm just not sure about uh, Pellegrini, if he's actually that much of a, of a manager who can enthuse people, who can bring a team together. Yes, he's won title with City, but... I don't know. Bournemouth for the it win? It doesn't really strike me as a convincing setup. Okay. Bournemouth, uh, do you think, to take this at London Stadium? Yeah, I think Bournemouth will actually finish above West Ham this season because, like we've been saying about, about the signings, you know, Yarmolenko, his, his, his best days are past him. Wilshire, can he stay fit? Carlos Sanchez didn't do it in the Premier League with Villa. Lucas Perez, one goal in 11 uh, at Arsenal. Yeah, Bournemouth won. They won the first game at the, at the London Stadium, didn't they, two seasons ago? Um, and yeah, I, I wouldn't back against them. Winning this one as well. All right, Matt. Well, the game that's exciting, Rafa, is Burnley Watford. Why is that, Rafa? I just love uh, Sean Dyke's teams playing. Okay. Just um, very, very different. Did you know that Watford are terrible away from home? And indeed, in their last seven away under Javi Gracia, or indeed these seven games that they played away from home under Javi Gracia, have yet to score a single goal, Jack. That's quite a stat. Right. Burnley, of course, will be a little bit shagged out from their Thursday night antics against uh, Basak Shahir. You know, we talk about the Sunday-Thursday rhythm and it really shouldn't make a difference, you think. But actually, players hate it so much. And the reason they hate it is because they don't have a weekend. If they play Sundays every week effectively, then on Saturday they're often already in a hotel or um, or preparing for the game so they can't really spend any time with their family Sunday's game time and then their families are on a completely different rhythm and it does annoy the hell of them you say you know they're professional they should do it but there is actually a human element to it and they, they detest it so I wonder if that's going to come back to adversely affect Bernie this season Rafa we snuggled up next to each other in the cinema recently on this occasion, to see Kaiser, a documentary about the greatest footballer never to play football. What was I your favourite? I had favorite? no idea what film was on. When you went? When I snuggled up next to you. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, sorry, go on. What was, your fav- you. what was your favourite bit? <laughs> the popcorn. Um, the favourite bit on the screen was, I think, the classic Kaiser story from scoring from behind the goal. Um, it's a kind of a it's a slightly lame joke, and mm. certainly 
very laboured. Right. But uh, the way they um, they cut it up and the way they introduced mm. it, I and think the, was the places very he managed to tell that same story quite again and again and again. Yeah, it's brilliant. Of course, we've done a Totally Football Show special on uh, Kaiser, which you can hear. But if you'd like to get yourself a pair of free tickets to see this gorgeous-looking film uh, in upcoming screenings in London, Manchester and Dublin, then get over to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash the Totally Football Show, and uh, there's a little competition there. Boom. Speaking of Kaisers, Rafa, how many points are Bayern going to win the league by? Will it be more or less than the 21 that was their winning margin last time? I think it'll be fewer this time. I think Dortmund will be vastly improved under Lucien Favre, who has a tendency and history of coming into clubs and immediately getting them to a completely different level, or in Dortmund's case, to the level where they should should have been in the first place. So my hopes are high for Dortmund. I've got uh, high hopes for Schalke as well. I think under Tedesco, they're really progressing nicely. If they manage to sign Sebastian Rudi from Bayern, uh, they're certainly pushing very hard. I think it would be fascinating because they've been very a very defensive team. I think with Rudy on the in defensive midfield, they could completely change their the dynamic. They have a different dimension. They have a ball player in that in that position. I think it would be really really interesting to see. And I think also even the likes of Leverkusen and indeed Hoffenheim and uh, the future RB Leipzig coach Julian Nagelsmann will be will be really competitive. So you have to hope a little bit, like you do in the Premier League, that the champions will drop down at least a level, if not two, for anyone else to be in with a chance. But I think there should be improvement below Bayern, so that makes me quite hopeful. OK, is Nagelsmann already booked then for Leipzig? He is. In terms of Bayern Munich, they got a new manager, Niko Kovac. What are your first impressions of the Kovac tenure at Bayern, us Stein? What does he do different than Heinz Ancelotti or Guardiola? He got off to a good start, didn't he? He did. They had a very convincing win in the Super Cup against Frankfurt. Uh, it was 5-0. His and, former club, of course. Yeah, his former club and the club that had beaten Bayern in the last game of last season in the German FA Cup final. And you could feel that Bayern sort of had a had a point to prove and uh, the team, they really went for it and Frankfurt had, had very little to, by way of um, trying to disrupt their game, apart from being quite physical. The first impressions are that this is a very tough guy, um, very demanding on his team, very hard working in terms of the fitness. I think they remind me a little bit of the Bayern team and the Felix Magath where they were just supremely um, physically impressive and, and very, very strong. And of course, Bayern have tremendous depth more than anyone else in the league by, by quite a distance. So it bodes not very well to feel that you know this is now going to be a harder working Bayern Munich team than certainly the Ancelotti team and maybe even the Heinkes team of last season or the second half of the last season. Uh, at the same time, I wonder how much footballing idea there is. I'm still a little bit doubtful whether he has added um, that much by way of a footballing identity that Bayern have been progressively losing since Guardiola has has gone. I think it's now a team that relies simply on on quality. Uh, they come up with something individuals off the cuff. Mm. Well, individuals or in combination of individuals, mm. knowing that you know if we just keep playing here, we will find a way of scoring, and they usually do. But they're not quite at the same level that they were when they had a real strong footballing identity and idea superimposed on all this talent a few years ago. And I wonder if he is the right man to do that or if he's more pragmatic and just feels, you know, we're just going to keep it tight at the back and hassle the opposition. And if we combine workload and uh, and footballing quality, that will be too much for most teams. And I, <laughs> my, my, my guess is it will be, but I'd like to see a bit more, a bit more inventiveness, a bit more of a, uh, innovative approach on the ball, which I so far haven't seen, but it's, of course, very early days. OK. FPL Doctor says, what is Hollenstein's take on Leon Bailey and when are England going to call him up? Well, this is... Um, you you asking me about myths. This is a myth, um, that the idea that he can play for England. There is absolutely no substance to the story that he uh, is somehow waiting for an England call-up. There are problems with him in the Jamaican FA, which have seen him refuse to... to come out and declare for for national team but it has nothing to do with England I, it was surprising in a way that Leverkusen managed to hold on to him I think mm. the price tax scared off a lot of players there was an uh, inquiry from Bayern um, that I think never really materialized as soon as Leverkusen turned down the first kind of pensive offer and uh, no one else came in for him and it's been a strange market all 
all around if you think that, you know, Real Madrid have not signed anyone who comes into the Galactico or even sort of semi-Galactico fold. Particularly after selling Ronaldo. Yeah. Um, and the Bundesliga have been one of the beneficiaries of this slightly slower and less frenetic transfer market because we haven't really seen any high-profile departures unless I'm missing someone now, but... Nabi Keita, but we knew about that one. Yeah, exactly. That's been sort of a one that they've lost already. But yeah, it's been it's been good in that respect. That uh, Dortmund haven't had any departures since Obama Young left in in January. Uh, Bayern certainly haven't sold anyone that didn't want to sell. So yeah, it's good. Okay, excellent. All right. Well, so cup action for German football fans this weekend. Yeah. Uh, meantime, the Premier League into round two, and to get the odds on those matches. Let's hand over to producer Ben, who's been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. It's Lee Price from Paddy Power on the line. Lee, how's it going? Very well, thank you. How are you, Ben? I'm very, very well indeed, thank you. Looking forward to uh, some big games this weekend. Probably the biggest, um, Chelsea versus Arsenal. What are the what are the markets doing here? Yeah, we really like Chelsea for this one. Uh, always helps when you start of a win. They're 8-11, to so odds on to win this match. Arsenal for the victory are a lengthy 10-3. to and the draw's quite lengthy as well, 11-4. to four. So some value we don't fancy Chelsea, but our traders clearly do. And you've got a money-back special going on this game as well. We do. So it goes to odds. It could be money-back as a free bet if Chelsea win. Uh, that's selected markets only, pre-match singles only, max free bet of £10, TNCs apply. All right, let's talk about a couple of the other games. Um, I'm interested in a double here. I think that Brighton are going to do what they did last season and beat United. I also think that Palace might get something against Liverpool, which, as a Liverpool fan, gives me no joy in saying out loud. Um, this is ambitious. I like your ambition. Um, it'd be dramatic, wouldn't it? But it's also almost certainly in any title race already. Brighton to beat United and Palace to beat Liverpool as a double is 34 to 1, which suggests the chance of that happening is approximately zero. Here's another big one for you, Lee. Even with Kevin De Bruyne out now for City, are they going to get five or more against Huddersfield? The odds here are much shorter. They haven't got De Bruyne loading the bullets, but they have got almost every attacker in the world you could want. Uh, firing them away. It's 7-2 to two that City score five or more against Huddersfield. They're very strongly fancied. They're a massive 1-12 to 12 to beat the Terriers. Uh, only going one way, that one. All right, and speaking of going, only going one way, what about Spurs? Uh, they're not going to White Hart Lane just yet. Are they going to go to White Hart Lane this year, though? Increasingly, we don't think so. The odds have slid a lot here. It's now 9-4 to four that Spurs do not play at White Hart Lane this calendar year, 2018. Uh, 25 to 1 for the whole season, which is shorter than your double. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. Begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Um, I don't know if you heard Monday's edition, by the way, in which Lee revealed the price. It's really short odds. Can't remember exactly what the numbers were of, of Arsenal being bottom of the table by the end of August. That'd be quite remarkable. Of course, it's a marathon, not a sprint, Matt. Uh, you have got a huge Sunday night of Summer Slam ahead, Matt, I read here. It's the second biggest weekend on the wrestling calendar, yes. Take over Brooklyn 4 on Saturday and then Summer Slam on Sunday. And all that building up nicely to Season 2 of the Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast, oh. which will be uh, available later on this month, I do believe. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay, uh, is Roman Reigns finally going to beat Brook Lesnar? Brock Lesnar, uh, I certainly hope so because Brock Lesnar's off to UFC again and uh, oh. we need to end this interminable feud between these two and just, just, just get the belt off Brock and let, let's let's get it back into weekly weekly rotation. Uh, apart from wrestling, what will you be enjoying this weekend, Rafa? Loads of football, James. Yes. I'll, be, uh, I'll be watching as many games as I can. Good. And um, I think that Chelsea Arsenal, because of the reasons we mentioned with that little unknown Known unknowns and unknown unknowns yes. will provide plenty of interest. OK, super. Don't forget, Chievo Juventus, Ronaldo's league debut for La Senora, which is coming up 5 o'clock on Saturday on that 11 sports thing, if you can get across that. And, uh, Jack, what, you're, you're going off to Reading. I'm going to Reading v Bolton, yes. Super. Well, I hope you have fun with that. Listeners, whatever you're up to or watching, I do hope you have an enjoyable time as well. Many thanks to Rafa, Jack and Matt. We'll be back on Monday. Have yourself a super weekend. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. 
for sales and advertising, email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. And make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the revamped Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the brand new Totally Scottish Football Show. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.